0: Hello, and welcome to the Pacific Northwest Showdown podcast. This is your host, Michaela Mattis. This is episode one of the Pacific Northwest Showdown podcast, and I am very happy to have you all listening in today, as we will have a very special guest join us on later to talk about the Seattle Seahawks' secondary concerns. That special guest is former Seattle Seahawks cornerback, Marcus Trufant. I do look forward to discussing with him later on in the podcast about the Seahawks' secondary concerns, and what they need to do to be successful heading into this next week against the Vikings. But before we dive into the content about the Seahawks and what they need to do in this upcoming weekend against the Vikings, I did want to take time to do a special segment for Trevor Moad, who was Russell Wilson's mental strength conditioning coach, and um, he passed away this past week from cancer. As a psychology major, I've always been inspired by Trevor's work that he did in the field of sports psychology, and I know that he's going to be deeply missed, but I also know that his work will continue on through the Limitless Minds Foundation that he partnered with other colleagues and Russell Wilson on to do this work and to expand the knowledge of neutral thinking. So I'm going to read a quote from Trevor Moad's book, It Takes What It Takes, Average is a choice. Greatness is a choice. Magic does not happen. Only decisions. And when we watch how Russell Wilson manages a game, how he manages his his mindset, his focus on the field, you have to know that Trevor Moad's words, the work that he did with Russell Wilson, was imperative to a lot of Russell Wilson's success in the league over the last 10 years. So I just want to say this to Russell Wilson. I know that Trevor Moad, as you said, that he would always text you, I believe in three. I know that all these 12s out here, we believe in you too. I believe in three. The 12s believe in three. We got your back. And again, Trevor Moad, just an inspiration, a wonderful human being. And may he rest in peace. It is time for the Showdown Lowdown, your Pacific Northwest sports news and updates. The Seattle Storm begin the playoffs on Sunday as the number four seed at the Angel of the Winds Arena and will face the highest remaining seed after the first round of games. Good luck to the Seattle Storm and support your WNBA players by tuning in and watching them win a game. All right, the Seattle Mariners are four games back in the AL wildcard race. And they are currently facing the Athletics in their series, and the Mariners have won eight of their last 12 games prior to the series against them. So hopefully they continue a win streak against the Athletics. And this series is important for the Mariners to win, to continue to be in the playoff wild card race. Now, it feels like it's a long shot at this point, but nothing's impossible. And there's that fun differential that the Mariners love to talk about. So let's go get wins. Let's dominate the next couple weeks of games, and the Mariners may have a chance. Let's continue to have faith. All right, the Kraken Community Ice Complex in Northgate has opened as I've dropped the new Kraken jerseys for fans to buy. Apparently, it's huge record sales for the Kraken jerseys, and I know that I purchased mine through Simply Seattle. So I got a women's jersey that I pre-ordered. And I believe that that's going to be shipped in mid-October, but I'm really excited for the Kraken to be here in Seattle. Definitely let's get behind the new hockey team here in the NHL and be sure to get some of your gear, maybe from Simply Seattle. Support a local business here that does um, Seattle sports apparel. All right, this one I don't enjoy reporting on, that the Seattle Seahawks came away with a loss this weekend after going into the half with a 24-9 lead over the Titans. The Seahawks fell to pieces in the second half, losing the game in overtime thirty-three 33-30. We're going to go ahead and break that down here in the next segment and continue to tune in. All right, it's time to break down that Seattle Seahawks game and you know what? They gave us a lot to focus on which I guess is great in terms of um having a lot to get better at. But let's just go ahead and start breaking down the game. You know, they come out starting strong. Their offense looking great. Um, you know what though? I think that is really due to the fact that Russell Wilson happened to find Tyler Lockett downfield a few times for some huge gains. But in regards to sustaining drives, I just didn't see it like I did last week. It's either these big explosive plays that are getting us close to the end zone or a defensive turnover where it really put us close to that end zone to just power it in with Chris Carson. So here's what I was missing this week. I was missing the sustained drives from the Seattle Seahawks to help burn the clock, maintain possession, keep our defense off the field, because the defense looked tired um, after the second half started. They looked exhausted. The Titans really picked up a hurry-up offense. It didn't allow for our defensive players to sub out, especially on the line. And I think that hurt us in the long run um, for staying energized through the longevity of the game. So I'm going to go ahead and just kind of focus in on a few things that I really noticed um, that needs to be cleaned up. And to start with, I'm I'm going to give kudos to the Titans offense because they really picked up many of the blitzes. I think Jamal Adams came at the quarterback nine times and he had zero hits or hurries um, they just picked him up. I noticed that consistently is when he tried to rush um, or blitz the quarterback. That Jamal Adams was just getting picked up, and Ryan Tannehill would just find his guys downfield. Uh, Derek Henry obviously had an explosive game. All in the second half, he was really held tight there in the first half, and the second half it just he dominated and. It, You know, he is one of those players who is a force to be reckoned with. We know he's a Hall of Fame running back. We know he's difficult to tackle. But in terms of the defense doing what they needed to do to shut him down that second half, we just didn't execute. There were miscues and... Plays that just allowed for Derek Henry to obviously score like a 60 plus yard touchdown. Um, So that's one area we really need to go back and, and review the tape on to see what needs to be done over the course of a game to make sure our defense is staying fresh out there on the field. Many of you know how I feel about Trey Flowers. I don't think he's the answer at the cornerback position. I'm really looking forward to talking with Marcus about this specifically. So I'm not going to dive in too much here with Trey Flowers because I have some really good questions for Marcus Trufant to to help analyze and and cue in on with with Trey Flowers in the cornerback position. So stay tuned for that discussion. I just needed to mention it here that I have feelings about it and I think he needs to be sidelined. The other piece of this, and... I'm going to talk with Marcus about this as well, is that the defense needs to play tighter on the line of scrimmage and make wide receivers beat them. You have Quandre Diggs there in the backfield. He's been shown to be a very solid and hard hitter over the course of just the last two games. And you have to trust that he's going to be there to back you up if for some reason, on a man-to-man, tight on the line, you get beat there, you need to be able to rely on your linebackers and your safeties to help fill in if you get beat. But we're giving such a cushion right now that all the underneath things, they're gaining five, six yards, seven yards. And it's not hard for the other team to get a first down or playing soft. I really think we need to come up on the line and, and put pressure on teams to have solid routes and get, um just put the pressure in the, I would say the aggressiveness we need to have on the line. I'm not seeing aggression um, from our our backfield. The offense completely crumbled in the second half. I don't know what happened to our play calls that we had from last week. You know, they barely got the tight ends involved. They, the run game was stuffed. And we tried multiple screen passes, I believe, and we just don't have the blocking, like the blocking game to be able to make those effective. If we're blocking, we're holding, and then we get it called back. So they really need to clean that up if they're going to try to utilize that as a play call for the offense. Um, I didn't see any jet sweeps. It's hard for me to imagine that just because D. Eskridge was out of this game that we wouldn't have somebody who could excel in that area, like maybe put in Freddie Swain, maybe put in um, DJ Dallas for one of those jet sweep options In misdirection even. There was barely any misdirection in this game. And we need to start throwing it underneath too. I love the deep ball just as much as the next person. It is so amazing and beautiful to watch Russell Wilson throw the ball deep because you're almost guaranteed that Tyler Lockett is down there to catch the ball. And, but when a defense figures that out and they start covering down the field like that, you have to start throwing underneath and you have to start utilizing your tight ends or your running backs for short gains. Get the first down first, and that's really where we struggled. I think in overtime is we weren't throwing underneath. We weren't. Uh, we were looking for that long pass, and we just needed to play smart football and get that first down to get us a little bit, you know, further down um, the field. Uh, penalties were awful. I was saying all game, we're beating ourselves here. And although some of those penalties I completely disagree with, like I am very frustrated by this taunting rule. I don't care what team you're on, let the guys play, let them be fired up. If they're playing bang bang football, if they're hitting hard, if they have a great play, what's your natural response going to be after you have a really great play? You're going to be fired up and you're going to have adrenaline. That's a natural response. And so for the league to basically try to tell players that you can't have a natural physiological response to a great play, I just, I can't get behind it. I disagree with it. Um, I agree that at some point, maybe it would be excessive, but to flex a little bit, to throw the ball down, to get excited... Man, just let them play. Let them talk a little bit. This is a game. It's an aggressive game. And they're grown men. Let them talk. Let them be excited. I see nothing wrong with that. So, there are some penalties that again, I don't agree with. Um, but there's other ones which is like the holding, right? The I don't know how many times we had a roughing the passer call. But that happened more than once. Just need to clean it up. Um, yeah, so we need to, on top of that, let's talk about the center position because Kyle Fuller did not have a great game according to PFF, if we're looking at that, as much as people do or do not necessarily like PFF. Um, he had below a, th- I believe it was like below a 30 30- PFF grade for pass blocking and run blocking in this last game. So what I want to see next thing, I want to see Dakota Shepley out on the field. Let's see what he can do. He looked pretty solid for the 49ers through preseason. Just give the guy a shot. Because right now, Russell Wilson will continue to have a whole bunch of pressure on him. He won't have time to read his plays if he's getting blown up right up the center so let's see Dakota Shapley out there let's see what he can do I want to see somebody else in the cornerback role to replace Trey Flowers see what somebody else can do see if we can get somebody who's more aggressive look if you're aggressive and you're getting pass interference calls but you're not allowing for a guy to get loose and you're he completely blows by you I'm I'm actually more fine with that. I'm more fine with you being aggressive as a cornerback and at least being on your guy than I am with you getting blown by from a wide receiver every time. So let's see who can go in and step in in Trey Flowers' position. I also think that DJ Reed just needs to go back to that right side and find somebody to cover the left. Put DJ Reed back where he excelled last year. He had a pretty good game this game. I feel bad that he got called out on that taunting call, but let's put DJ Reed back on the right side and figure out what we need to do on the left. All right, so that's my analysis of the game. I have a lot of feelings about it. I somehow managed to come down from the game relatively fast from the loss. I think a lot of it has to do with my wife baking homemade cookies and having those ready to go for me to eat. Very grateful for Kate. She is wonderful. And those cookies are bomb. So thank you for the cookies. All right. And I'm going to go ahead and say for my Pacific Northwest player of the week, because we're already talking about the Seahawks and breaking that down, is going to be Tyler Lockett. So he gets my MVP for the week. He had eight receptions for 178 yards and a touchdown, averaging 22.3 yards per catch. Tyler Lockett in these last two games has been clutch. And he continues to be consistent for Wilson, and there's nothing as beautiful as seeing them connect on a deep pass. I do want to give an honorable mention to Bobby Wagner, who had a single game franchise record of 20 tackles. 20 tackles. He had 16 solo tackles, a sack, a tackle for loss, and two QB hits. That's an incredible game, and he should not have had to carry the team with that many tackles. That's asinine. That's insane. So an honorable mention. If not, let's let's do this. Tyler Lockett's the MVP for the offense, and Bobby Wagner is clearly the MVP for the defense. As always, your captain pulling through. We are welcoming former Seattle Seahawks cornerback Marcus Trufant to the Pacific Northwest Showdown podcast today. Marcus Trufant, a Tacoma native and fellow Washington State University Coug, go Cougs, played in the NFL for 10 seasons, having been selected 11th overall in the 2003 NFL draft by the Seahawks. Thank you for coming on the show today, Marcus.
1: Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me.
0: All right. So we're going to dive into questions to get started. I know that fans have a lot of questions regarding the cornerback position for the Seahawks. So going into the 2021 season, that was a huge question mark that fans had. Is there enough enough depth? Who's going to start on the left and right side in that position? And after watching the first two games, fans still have concerns about that. What is your take after watching those first two games unfold?
1: All right. Well, yeah, we're jumping right into it. I like it. So um, I'll say this. Um, first, again, I want to say thanks for having me. But getting into to the fans and what the 12s um, say and what they think, sometimes that can be rough. Right. So I'm going to put my trust in John Snyder and the Pete Carroll and say that they have proven that they know what they're doing. Right. So these two gentlemen, um, Trey Flowers, and you got Mr. Reed out there doing his thing as well. They haven't been playing um, at the top of their game, or they haven't been playing and making those type of plays that the 12s are used to seeing, or those plays that they want to see. But I say all that to say that there's still a lot of football to play, and sometimes you just have to be patient. You put new guys in the system, and – sometimes it just takes a while. And you know, they've put us in a position to where we haven't been blown out and we haven't getting um have been getting touchdowns thrown over our head every single play. So I think we just gotta give them some time to work within the defense to work within themselves and um see what we come up with at the end of the season.
0: Do you think that because this is something that I've stated, you know, even in this podcast is that they should consider putting Reed back on the right side. Do you think that he's, he's doing a solid job? I mean, he had a great stop there this weekend. Um, of course, when he got called for taunting, I thought that was ridiculous. Um, but do you think that they should try to just figure out what to do on the left side instead of moving him and shifting him to that role? Or do you think that they're just trying to play everybody to their biggest strengths at this point and what they have?
1: Right. I think they're just trying things out right now. I think they're trying to mix it up and see what sticks, right? So I don't think it's really a matter of right or left side. Of course, even though most quarterbacks are right-handed, so the number one corner is usually on the left side. But I think you got to see what sticks. And I really like Reed. I like his technique. I like what he sees. I like how he plays. And I think as he gets more comfortable, I think he's going to come around. I think both of these gentlemen are in there fourth or fifth year, if I'm not mistaken. So, so again, um, I'm not the coach and I'm going to put my faith in the guys that have been to many Super Bowls. Right. Um, And think that they're going to get this thing figured out. So um, of course I trust the, the two guys that are out there playing, but I definitely trust Pete and John as well.
0: What's the biggest difference? I would love to hear your uh, breakdown of this. What's the biggest difference between playing the left and right side
1: position? Well, yeah, just like I said, if you're on the left side, the quarterbacks are usually right-handed. So they're going to be throwing um, most of the time to that left side. So that's usually the strong side. So that left corner is usually the lead corner. The left corner in most situations is going to make the big bucks, right? You're going to get the big contracts because all the action is coming your way. So Technique is a little bit different, but I know just as far as the league now and guys playing both sides and guys doing two different things, um, playing man to man, coming inside on the slot, and then doing some different stuff like that. The technique is pretty much the same, but um, just what you see, and if you're used to only playing one side, sometimes that can be a handicap, but just the way the league is now, I think it's more about just being out there and being able to be interchangeable because that's usually how it works. If you're playing man-to-man or if you're spying a guy, if you're following a guy around, but going back, the left side is usually the guy at the left side is usually the guy that's going to make all the money, the guy that's going to get all the action and that's going to get all the work.
0: Thank you for clarifying that for me because that was a kind of a question that I personally had had is what's the biggest difference between that? So um, continuing on this, you kind of made a point that right now, Trey Flowers and DJ Reed are, you know, still getting a feel for where they're at in the field. And I'm sure you've heard the noise again. You know, you're like, I'm going to have faith and trust in Pete Carroll and John Schneider, (laughs) which I obviously they know what they're doing at the end of the game. We've gone to the playoffs the last, what, nine seasons or nine seasons out of 10 um, that Russell Wilson's been on the team. So we're actually really blessed to get to watch how dominant the Seahawks have been over the last nine years. And I think that I know I personally have very high expectations and I realize that I'm, I don't, I'm not there in the game, right. There has to, from a fan standpoint, (laughs) we all have to kind of take a step back and realize like, we're not in those positions playing in those games. And uh, we'd all look ridiculous if we did, (laughs) if we were out there on, on the field, but. I have been um kind of hard on Trey Flowers.
1: Ooh, okay. Personally,
0: <laughs> I feel like he struggles to cover his routes, especially when there's time for players to get open. And I have a question if would you say that that's an unfair evaluation of his play that he struggles to cover his routes and that he gets beat often?
1: I would say that is not an unfair evaluation of Trey. But what I would say is that I really like Trey Flowers and what he naturally brings to the position. He's tall, he's he's big, he's fast, he's athletic. Brings me back to the days of Richard Sherman, of course, and Brandon Browner, playing corner out there. So I think the Seahawks see that. And um, I think they really like that. Where Trey, I think he may be struggling in certain situations because, to be honest, he's um, fast. He, he can run, he can jump, he can uh, tackle, he can do all that kind of stuff. But I think his eyes and his technique may be throwing him off a little bit. And I'm not in the coded. I'm, I'm I'm not in those meetings at practice when they're breaking down the technique and doing all that kind of stuff. But that's just what I see as now as a cheerleader or as a fan. But I think. He knows and wants to get to another level. And so, again, I would say Trey Flowers has a very high ceiling. I think that he can be better. I think that he can be very good. I think he can turn into a big-time player. But I think it comes down to the little things. It's not just about covering your guy. It's about, okay, I'm going to start right here with my eyes. I'm going to work through the the, – three-step drop at a quarterback. I'm going to work through the five-step drop. I'm going to look at all these little things, which is going to bring me closer and closer to guarding my man instead of just trying to do everything all at once. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, There's this many yards on the field. I'm going to try to cover every route. I'm going to try to cover every situation. You got to start breaking it down into small pieces and it will be a little bit easier to eat. If you could dig that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I can. And how much of his play do you think has to do with his confidence?
1: Um, I think a lot of it. I think as a player, um, your confidence, I mean, and how you feel and how you approach things is a very big part of it. You don't want to second guess yourself. Um, you want to be able to play fast because everything is moving so fast on the field. So if you second guess or if you wait or if you're thinking about the plays you didn't make last week, that's going to slow you down. And all it takes is a little bit. All it takes is a little bit for a wide receiver in this league to make a catch on you.
0: Of course, when you have, like, Julio Jones
1: out there. Yeah, that and AJ makes it Brown. pretty yeah, that's yes.
0: I mean, so credit has to be given where there's Hall of Fame wide receivers, Hall of Fame running backs on the other team. Like, credit has to be given um, to those players, but also some grace given to the players going up and lining up against them. So uh, thank you for answering that question. So let's go and lean into the Seahawks defense from this weekend against the Titans. They looked pretty good. I would say the first half, but what happened in the second half? What do the Seahawks need to clean up that you saw in the second half of the game in order to be successful against the Vikings on Sunday?
1: Right. Well, uh, (laughs) The Vikings are going to come in here with a pretty good running game as well. I know the Titans, they have King Henry out there doing this thing, and he is a, a man amongst boys. He's huge, and he's a great runner, of course. And um, But playing against teams that have a great rushing attack, it takes an entire team. It's all about being gap sound, everybody being in the right spot. And pretty much putting the wall up there, all it takes is one person to be out of position and you're going to see gaps in the defense. So I don't know if it's an overall change that the Seahawks need to make um, going in to play in the Vikings. I think they just they need to focus on everybody doing their part. It's not guys trying to overcompensate or trying to do things out of the ordinary. You talked about trust and confidence, of course, in the secondary, but when the guys up front are kind of moving around, okay, they might think, okay, my guy, he really hasn't been getting there these last few plays, so I'm going to step over here. I'm going to try to make up for that. It just throws off the defense, and it puts a lot of holes in the defense. So I just, think the, uh, I just think the guys really need to come together. They need to trust each other, and they just need to let it go and play ball.
0: Do you think that they play too soft on the line? They, they give them too much of a cushion? because that's one thing I um, sometimes see is that I feel like other teams often get those four, you know, five, six yard dump offs underneath. Right. And then they have, you know, second and short or third and short. And I I'm like, Oh, it's third and four again. I, I don't feel as confident when it's third and four. So do you feel like we play, or the Seahawks play too soft in coverage. And what's the reasoning behind giving that cushion?
1: Well, I don't know if it's too soft. I would say um, not even that it's too cautious, but you have to weigh out your risk versus reward, right? So if you're going to be um, very aggressive and you're going to blitz a lot, and you're going to do all this stuff up front, and then you're going to put your secondary at risk because you're putting them back there by yourself. If you're sending linebackers, you're doing all this different stuff um, up front, of course, with the D-line. So the risk versus um, versus the reward, I think the Seahawks are really playing that game. So I don't know if they're playing too soft. I just don't think they're taking a lot of chances early. And I don't know what the stats say. I don't know what the blitz ratio is. But, but again, from a, a fan's perspective, um, I think it, once again, I think it comes down to technique. You're talking about, okay, um, D-linemen, you got to beat your one-on-ones, right? you got to beat the guy that's in front of you in order for uh, big plays to happen, to create a disruption, to make the quarterback uncomfortable. But if you're just up there and you're in a stalemate all the time, it makes it tough. So – One second, sorry. Yes, it makes it tough. So you have to be able to work through that. It just got to be disruptive. And it's not just for the D-line. It's for everybody. So, again, playing as a team, working together as a team, I know as fans it looks like that it may be individuals, right? But everybody affects everybody. Um, I know back in the day they used to say that we want the defense to move on a string, right? Everybody kind of has to move at the same time and be doing the same thing. you got to have that trust and you got to be accountable because when there's one person or there's one position that, that kind of falls short, it kind of throws everything off, and then it's a domino effect. So it's hard just to point the figure, okay, the D-line is getting blown off the line, um, right, and now it's third and four. It, it's, it's tough to make that call because there's so much other stuff going on.
0: Well, thank you for that uh, insight too. So the NFC West has been highlighted as a dominant division across the league, arguably one of the best, which is great. However, it's not necessarily great for the Hawks when you have three other major contenders for playoffs in your own division. So for the Seahawks to win the division title, how do they need to prepare differently for the Rams, the 49ers, and the Cardinals? Do they prepare differently?
1: Hmm, good question. Good question. Well, I think as far as preparation for the Seahawks, I think they need to focus on themselves. Right. Um, there are certain teams and you talk about a team like the Patriots. I'm talking old school Patriots. Right. They wouldn't really do a bunch of crazy outlandish stuff. Right they would stick to their playbook and they would do what they do best and they would get that done. It didn't matter but really what the other teams were doing. So I think that's what the Seahawks need to do. That They need to come in. That they need to make sure that the running game is solid. That they need to make sure that they protect Russ and that you kind of let the rest fall into place as far as the offense. If you protect Russ, that the running game is solid things are going to be smooth and you're pretty much going to be on schedule. I know a couple of years ago, that's what they all used to preach. Let's stay on schedule. Um, um, Stay on schedule as far as the offense. Let's come out here. Let's convert these third downs. Let's uh, play hard. And let's um, make sure that they fill our running game. And then on defense, it's kind of the opposite. That you come on time, you stay on schedule, you, you, uh, wreak havoc, you make the quarterback uncomfortable and you get off the field on third down and you create turnovers. So I think if the Seahawks focus on themselves and they continue to grow on that, on the turnovers as far as defense and then the offense is staying on schedule they make sure the running game is great, they protect Russ. I don't really think it matters what the rest of the division is doing because if they're on point and they're hitting on all cylinders, everything should be good.
0: I can agree with that for sure. Um, so here's a fun question for you. Cause I'm curious okay. story okay. time. Um, what is one of your favorite plays that you've made in your career and, or a favorite memory you have of, of a teammate? You can share one of each, if you want, or just focus on one of those questions.
1: Oh man. Qu- um, story time, right? Story, yeah, time. story time. Yeah. I got a lot of great stories. Not all are. uh, podcast friendly, of course. <laughs> of course, we in the locker room with a bunch of crazy sure. guys, but just stuff like, um, or just one of the plays that I really enjoyed that I played, that that I made playing against greats like uh, Brett Favre, you talk about guys like Randy Moss and Terrell Owens. Um, I was able to make plays on those guys. So that's that's how nowadays I'm able to tell my kids that I was cool back in the day, right? I got to play against Randy Moss. I didn't get Moss. I was yes. out there, I was able to make plays. I played against Brett Favre. I was able to get an interception against Brett Favre on Monday night. So plays like that and stuff like that. I played against T.O. and he's big. He He's this big personality, but you know, but to be able to get an interception um, against T.O. when he played for the Cowboys, that was a big deal to me. So plays like that, man, and going to the first Super Bowl, of this um franchise Mm -hmm. versus the Steelers that's the Super Bowl that a lot of us like to forget but just being a part of that was really cool and then you talk about the locker room stuff you know uh training camp stories and making the young guys go get all the food get us donuts from guys getting uh thrown in the cold tub it's all types of fun stuff going on so um as You know, I'm still good friends, of course, with a lot of guys I played with. Man, I talked to Jordan Babino all the time, talk to Walt Jones, Lofa Tatupu. So at the Brotherhood, it just continues to go forward. And um, there's tons of good stories. But like I said, I can't get into the goody good ones yet because I don't want to go crazy <laughs> your podcast. Right.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. Although right, I am very right. curious. So um I have noticed the really cool thing I feel about the Seahawks that are retired, like just seeing the it's like, you guys are family. I see, you know, you guys all share posts and like, we're all hanging out together. We're going on a hike, we're going on a bike ride. So that you stay kind of in the area. It seems like a lot of Seahawks players stay in the area, uh, which I think is really special. Um, just, just seeing that and, uh, that you guys stay in the community, which leads me to my next question actually for you. So um, recently I worked with the college success foundation in Tacoma, the college success foundation for those of you who aren't familiar is a nonprofit organization that supports low income students and helps them prepare for college and applying for college and scholarships and that sort of thing. So I do want to highlight the work that you do in our community through the true Font family foundation, because you have directly supported and positively impacted my students that have gone through my program through the scholarship um, that you've offered. Which I'm getting like goosebumps and chills right now just thinking <laughs> about that fact. If anything, I'm going to geek out more about that work that you've done. Then you know, and I love you as a as a Seahawk, but the work that you do. So, can you briefly discuss the work that your foundation does for our listeners and how they can support the work that you do to give back to our community?
1: Yes, thank you for that. The 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 Trufant Family Foundation is something that I wanted to start um, from the very beginning. My first year into the league or my tail end of my first year, right? I was like, I'm here, man, I got drafted to the home team. I want to be able to give back to a, to a community that served me as a young boy. So we came out with the Trufant Family Foundation. And when I say family, that's really who it is. Me, my mom, my dad, my brothers, my aunts, uncles. Everybody that's came together to want to give back. So the True Font Family Foundation, we are focused on education and we focus on the underrepresented students in this area locally, and then giving back. And we feel like education is not the only way, but education is a, a great starting place, a good springboard to push you forward to be successful or what ever that may look like for these students, right? I know it's a tons of, of different ways to go about being successful different ways to look at your life or your efforts leading up to being successful. But we feel like education is a big part of that. So that's what a True Family Foundation is. We, um, Of course, we really want to help these kids and we really want to give them a jumpstart. So that's where we come in.
0: It's just amazing, incredible work that you do. How can our listeners help provide any, you know, support for the students that you impact through your foundation? Is there anything that they can do?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, You can go to MarcusTruFont.com. I have all the information there. Um, Of course, there's ways to volunteer. There's ways to donate. There's just a bunch of different ways to get involved. And um, yes, it would be much appreciated because we got to do this as a village, right? It takes more than just one person to go out here and to be shouting from the rooftops. But um, of course it's going to take all of us to come together to make it happen.
0: Absolutely. Well, I just want to thank you again for your time today for giving some insight on the Seahawks and where they're currently at. I mean, it's just the start of the season, but it's really good to kind of dive deep and after what we've seen the last or the last two games. So thank you for being here, Marcus. Um, Good luck to you with the Marcus Trufant family foundation. Um, that you have going on to impact our students. And uh, I hope you have a great rest of your day.
1: Thank you very much for having me. Thank you.
0: We are going to go ahead and dive into the mailbag questions that I received on Twitter in the last few hours. And our first two questions are from SS Fisher 87 So that's Steve Fisher. And his first question for me was, should fantasy owners be concerned about DK's production so far? That is a great question. Uh, my wife has DK Metcalf on her team because she is a huge DK Metcalf fan and He hasn't been getting as many points, I believe, as most people would like, but I do think he's a consistent starter. I personally find it hard to consider benching DK Metcalf. Now, if you wanted him as a flex, if you have a flex position to fill, sure, have another wide receiver start, but I wouldn't sit DK Metcalf at this point. I think that as the season continues on, that DK Metcalf will find ways to get open. I think that Shane Waldron's offense this week was a little bit off, and I think that they'll do a lot of review of tape um, to figure out how to get some of those other players open, and it's going to allow DK Metcalf to get some opportunities as well. The only concern that I actually have currently about DK is, is he fully healthy? In the last series of the game in overtime, it looked like DK Metcalf came off limping from the field. So that is a concern I would have in terms of fantasy um, production. Is, Is DK Metcalf fully healthy? And I'm hoping that we'll find out more about that specific injury as the week goes on leading into next Sunday's game. Question two was, why does Bobby steal all of the team's tackles? But seriously, 20. He's doing what he has to do. He is a team captain, and he is everywhere. He is a Hall of Fame linebacker, and I don't care who gets the tackles. if As long as you get the tackles, that's all that matters to me. And somebody had to do it. That defense looked awful the second half of the game. So I'm glad that Bobby Wagner stepped up, and he... Sacrificed his body and and did a lot of work on the field yesterday. So I don't know about it. Him stealing those tackles as much as deciding that hey, if if the work has to be done, I guess the leader has to be the one to do it. And I think some of us can relate to that in different in different aspects uh, in regards to work and things like that. Um, but hopefully the defense has a meeting this week about how are we all doing on our assignments? Are we having good technique? Are we where we need to be on the field? I do believe I saw one play where Adams was running into Bobby Wagner again this week. I'm like, why are they in the same spot? Maybe, maybe their hall of fame players happen, like have the same idea and they end up in the same place, but something's happening to where they're running into each other and there needs to be more awareness on the field. But yeah, Bobby had a monster game. Again, why he was one of my honorable mentions slash defensive MVP for the game. All right. Our next question comes from Phillips Chris 12. That is Chris Phillips, my other friend there from Canada. And his question is, what is your favorite part of living in the Pacific Northwest? My favorite part about living in the Pacific Northwest is how beautiful it is in the fall and how beautiful it is actually year round. I love that we have the water and we have the mountains. And if you go east of the mountains, you kind of get that golden, the rolling wheat uh, field. So I don't know. I think it's just a beautiful state. It's a beautiful area to live in. There's a lot to do, especially if you're an outdoorsy person, which ironically I'm not. Like, I don't enjoy hiking. If somebody says, Do you want to go on a hike? Uh, My answer is typically no. The one thing I do love about living up here, though, is I'm a photographer as a hobby, not, you know, I don't charge anybody for my photography or anything, but I do love landscape photography. And so, the Pacific Northwest offers a lot of beautiful places to go take photos. And sometimes it does require hiking, but I haven't gotten to that part yet. So um, I love going over to the coast and taking photos of the ocean. And uh, yeah, it's just a beautiful place to be. And it has the best sports teams, in my opinion, up here in the Pacific Northwest. So great question by Chris. Thank you for asking me questions for the mailbag this week, and uh, look forward to seeing what questions come up next week. This leads us to the end of this week's Pacific Northwest Showdown podcast. I want to thank Marcus Trufant for coming on the show today, and thank you all for listening, and hope you tune in next week. Remember to always take care of your heart and mind above all else. Until next time.